Welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast. This is Matt Zapala, your host and creator of Euphoria Health and Active Living, your go-to hub for all information on movement, sustainability, and plant-based nutrition. My main goal is to generate happiness, and I couldn't think of a more fitting word to represent my brand than Euphoria. Join me as I dive into raw conversation with qualified professionals, athletes, influential individuals, and many more. It's time now to introduce this week's special guest. This week on the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast, I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Zach and Kat Balmain, the owners of Particle Cafe, which is one of the most iconic plant-based cafes in Melbourne. I personally used to work at Particle and I grew so much as a person during this experience. These guys are so passionate about veganism and education and it's evident through what they're doing at Particle. They're creating wholesome masterpieces that are delicious and make you feel like you're cheating when you're actually not. In this episode, we cover the history of Particle and how it transitioned into a plant-based cafe despite the demographics of the area resources that you can use to help transition into a plant-based lifestyle, tips for business owners on how to take the plunge and turn their business vegan. These guys have also perfected the nut milk recipe and they share it with us during today's show. So if you haven't already, grab some earphones, sit back and enjoy the show. Zach, thanks for coming today, mate. Appreciate it. Tell us a little bit about your history owning a business. So I guess it all started... um, when I was 20 years old, I just came back from Europe and I got in contact with my dad's friends at the time and he had taken out a bit of shares and um, he had a bit of cash on him. So he was looking for somebody with a few ideas and looking at opening another restaurant. So yeah, we all got in contact and you know I just gave him a few of my ideas I shared in my time spent in Rome and we both um, loved you know the vision that we had together and yeah we went off and he um, I guess supported my idea and we went to open my first cafe in the city which was on Little Bourne Street. Awesome and what was the name of that cafe? That was called Ampersand yeah but it all I guess it started off really um, I guess really I guess my vision was, you know, was, I guess, really structural and it all started great. But then at the end, his ideas and I guess everybody else just started getting very abusive and um, sort of, yeah, took the name away to Harry Joy's Soul Kitchen. So that was his idea okay. and took away the whole vision of... Sort of physical Yeah, that's part. why it, didn't, it, it all ended before it even started. So. And that was at the beginning of you being a barista? Um, no, it wasn't. So I'd never made coffee at that stage. Um, it wasn't until I opened this my second business that yeah I started making coffee. Awesome, and that second business was a cafe too. Yes, yeah, so that was called Balmain's. Balmain's, nice. Yeah. Obviously, your last name's Balmain, yeah. so coming from that, awesome. So definitely um, got a bit of history running a business. Yeah. How did you and Cap meet? So I was at a bar with a few friends one night on Chapel Street, and I yeah I just had this sort of like a weird sense to, you know, I guess drive across Melbourne to this little place called Turf Bar because it was a Monday night <laughs> and there wasn't too many places on a Monday night that were, you know, were really busy and a good place to go out and, you know, have a dance and stuff. So, you know, I convinced my friends and I was a designated driver so we all drove up to this bar and, um, yeah, as soon as we got there, I guess they just decided to get drunk and, you know, for me I wasn't the biggest drinker so I decided, um, I'll just go and leave them to get drunk and I'll go and dance myself. And then, yeah, and then I saw Kat on the floor and I guess, yeah, we had this bit of connection. Love it. Yeah, that's where we are Awesome. Moving forward to then, you guys started your first business together, Particle Cinnamon, I believe. Yeah. How did it start? What inspired this? So, it all started um, probably about two months before I sold Belmain's, my last business. So... I guess what we found with Belmain, I had a business partner who was my step-grandmother at the time, and we both um, were working very hard, but we also found that you know we were reinvesting a lot of our money back in the business, so we wanted to start something on the side. Um, and initially the idea was to, 
create a cinnamon spice or just a chai spice to you know dust on top of people's chais. A friend of mine owned Prana Chai at the time, and um, yeah, I just thought it'd be a really good add-on product. You know, everybody was drinking chai in Melbourne, but there wasn't any really good um, chai dust around. Yeah. So I guess I was researching throughout all the different um, ingredients that I needed to put in this, and I was looking at the highest quality ingredients until I got to cinnamon, and then I found out there was two varieties. Um, and yeah, then once realizing that the superior cinnamon from Sri Lanka was the best cinnamon, and you know there was no Sri Lankan cinnamon in Australia at that time, I realized that that could be a potential business. So Kat and I started Particle Cinnamon from there. I love it. And yeah. how? Wh- what was the first sort of iconic moment that started Particle Cinnamon? Like where'd you start out of? So I guess the iconic part was um, so what we did at the start was. For when we first had the idea, we actually did find one large spice wholesaler in Melbourne and we went to him and we had a big meeting with him and he sold us some of the best, I think it was called C5 Special. So it's about five grades lower than what we have now, but at that time it just blew us away and he gave us a sample of cinnamon and we broke it and I can still remember smelling bubblegum and it was so exciting. And yeah, as soon as I snubbed that cinnamon, I knew I had to scrap the chai idea, chai sprinkle, and just focus on the cinnamon. cinnamon. And um, yeah, I bought a small packet of that, and I was using my cinnamon, my actually coffee grinder, to grind it. And I would, you know, every night, I guess I could only grind a small amount because the grinder would overheat, and all the oils would block everything, so it was actually a very hard spice to grind. But I would manage to probably, you know, grind five or six tins a night, and there was fifty grams each tin. And within an hour of just opening the tin and letting someone smell it, they would all sell. Wow! So I knew I was onto something. Yeah. And um, yeah, I guess the next step from there was we repurchased twenty-five kilos, and when we opened up this box, it wasn't the same as the first sample. You know, it was very, the flavor was completely different. I could tell, you know, there was a lot of, I think they were using sulfates. Um, so, you know, we wanted to hold this quality because we knew branding is very important. So what we decided to do is we didn't sell one quill in that big box. Yeah. So that all went to waste. And we, we knew that once we sold Balmain's, we would have to fly over and buy it straight from the farmer so we know where we're getting it from and that's when you went over to Sri Lanka sourced it yourself exactly. and brought back the cinnamon you still currently use is that yeah. correct? So, yeah we went to the jungles Katamai, and we tried to organise a few meetings yeah. while we're in Melbourne um, but the problem was nobody got back to us we emailed about 20 different cinnamon farms no one got back to us so we thought we'd just fly over there and um, yeah there's a few problems we arrived in um, the capital and you know that's online it says that's where the cinnamon farms were but you know there actually wasn't any cinnamon it's just a big city in Colombo and um, yeah we realized we had to go all the way to the bottom of the country and you know we I guess we didn't know what we were doing so we ended up coming up with an idea to pretend that we we're a big company that was in Sri Lanka at that time. Yeah. And we asked the hotel receptionist if he could pretend that he was working for us. And he spoke, you know, in their language and then organised us, I think, two or three meetings back to back. Wow. And look at you guys now. I've personally had that cinnamon and it's amazing. Some of the health properties that that go along with it is awesome. Um, I remember one day when I was working at Particle Cinnamon here, I had a headache and Kat gave me a cinnamon capsule and within 15 minutes my headache was gone. So I don't know if it was placebo, but definitely worked, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, So from that cinnamon business, fast tracking to this cafe that we're currently sitting in now, what was the transition like firstly to the cinnamon, then the cafe, and then now to one of the most iconic plant-based cafes in Melbourne? I guess what happened was we had a, I guess, a strong vision, um, and you know, I guess whatever we did, 
we always made sure we were listening to our heart and connecting ourselves with that. And we didn't want to ever go into a realm where we had to sell ourselves and go against how we felt. So starting off cinnamon, the cinnamon, you know, part of the cinnamon was fantastic. And we got into 80 health food stores. So we nearly got into every health food store or any, all the great ones in Melbourne. Um, and I guess, you know, that was great because that came from a place of inspiration, you know, I'd be explaining my story. And then what we found after that, I guess it, it, it changed a little bit. I guess once they ordered, I had to, um, I guess, be this person that I didn't want to be and I had to, I guess, almost cold call them all. Call them up and then find out, you know, if they needed to reorder and just didn't feel comfortable with me. I wasn't, you know, being true to myself. And I guess because I didn't do that as much as I should have, um, the sales dropped. So, you know, even though we got into a lot of shops, the reordering was low. Um, and then we were crunching into our savings and yeah, you know, it took a few months and you know, we, we got really panicky and then, you know, we pretty much were looking at our bank account one day and we're like, wow, you know, we've only got about a week or two and then we're done, you know, we, we can't, you know, we were working side jobs as well, but we weren't able to pay the rent here. So, um, we had to think of a quick idea. We tried to break the lease with the landlord, but they wouldn't allow it without taking all, our, all of our bond. Thank God wanna, for that now. Yeah, we didn't want to take that risk. <laughs> so we just thought to ourselves, we've literally got about $5,000 left. Um, what are we going to do, you know? And then we, you know, I've opened, had cafe experience before that, and my wife, Kat, um, she was very, very good at cooking. So we thought, let's just open a cafe, you know, our budget's $5,000, let's do it as cheap as possible. Um, and then, yeah, that's when we started, you know, the Parkville Cafe, and that's wow. where it started, so. So take us through the first moments when you opened the doors of the cafe, what was it like? Was it booming with, with customers coming in, straight yeah. away the new kid on the block, or what, what was it like? So yeah, it's a bit different to, I guess, my cafe in, in Brighton. So the cafe in Brighton, we had, um, yeah, the first day I think I had about 700 customers. Wow. It was unbelievable. It was literally a line down the street to check out this new place. Um, bit different here. So when we opened the doors here, I think we had about three customers for the whole day. So <laughs> it was really quiet. Um, we had a lot of elderly Italian customers. So the demographic around here is more, I guess, elderly European. Um, and there was sort of, I guess at the start, you know, they were sort of asking us for, I guess, you know, their traditional focaccias and um, traditional Italian-style coffee. So I was listening to them at the start and I sort of felt a bit pressured. So I knew, because I was limited on money, I needed to create a cafe to make them happy. So at the start, it was more of a, like an Italian-style cafe. And yeah, I was playing lots of European old school Frank Sinatra music. <laughs> I had, you know, the Italian style cured meats and in, in their sandwiches. Um, I was, I had a sort of a gravity coffee, which is a very dark Italian style um, coffee for the you know that they would like. And yeah, that's sort of how we started here. What yeah. does it mean to be vegan for the listeners? Like, there's a lot of misconceptions out there, a lot of stereotypes. So, can you clear that up for us? Yeah, definitely. So, I guess for for me, for being vegan, um, I guess you know, vegan is, I guess, what we want to create for you know, the word vegan is just a sense of normality. You know, we want to make sure that it's a normal thing. It's not something that's different or, or weird. You know, we want to make people feel comfortable around that. Um, so as much as I can, I always try to be very relatable to everybody um, because I just want them to think like, you know, this that guy's all right, you know, he's similar to me. I don't want to be this really distanced person from them because I guess I want to show them that, you know, I still love the same music as them. We can still watch the same movies. I just eat different food, you know, mm-hmm. and I choose not to, um, I guess, exploit any animals in any way and you know I guess that's a if you know if people can see that and sort of in, be inspired by me then I can be a lot more effective at, at you know I guess activism. 
awesome. Yeah. And just to clear that up, being vegan is not having or wearing any animal products, correct? Exactly. So, awesome. Yeah, it's just, you know, anything that has exploited an animal, um, whether that's, you know, zoos, circuses, um, buying, you know, clothing, um, cosmetics, um, yeah, it just goes, and even to the point where, like, things that might affect animals as well, like palm oil, um, so I guess, yeah, as much as we can, you know, we're not perfect people, and we don't want to tell anyone we're perfect, but we do try to do the best we can. Yep. Um, and it, yeah, it, we do it because, you know, we just believe that we don't have dominion over animals, and that we're sharing this planet with them, and that the animals aren't there for us. You know, we can all, you know, we've all got enough land to, to share the planet with. Definitely. And it's not really our right to um, control them. Awesome. Going along with the stereotype, the common stereotype these days is yep. that all vegans eat lettuce or it's all rabbit food, it's all grass. Yep. So what's uh, what's an example of some of the foods that you, you and Kat eat? Yeah, cool. So I guess um, a few things on the menu. So I'll, I'll pr- I, I didn't explain before. I'll quickly show you, explain like what happened, how we transitioned the cafe as well. Um, and then I'll bring the food side. So um, what we learned from... I guess at the start being this, you know, Italian style um, sort of themed cafe and trying to grab the market, it actually um, just stopped stopped the business for being something very unique and special. Um, And, you know, we've actually got to thank our neighbours down the road because they explained, they sort of told us off for using their bread. They're a bakery down the road and, you know, one day... We were using their bread for about a couple of weeks and they came up to us and they said, hey, you know, it's not right for you to be using our bread. You're down the road. You should have asked us. And they sort of, you know, told us off on that side. And then my partner and I were, were eating a lot more gluten-free food that, at that time. And then we thought, let's start running the business on who we are and let's start providing the food and, and you know, start providing the drinks that we eat, we consume. And let's give that to the customers. You know, if we don't like things, we shouldn't be serving it just because we need to, need to or feel like we have to. For sure. So at that stage, we went 100% gluten-free and then we found a little bit of a point of difference. And um, yeah, I guess we're on this journey to get a lot more healthy and a lot more ethical. We changed the water to using spring water. And then with the food side, um, we were using, I guess, yeah, amazing gluten-free bread, and we were buying ethically, I guess, sourced meat and um, using really high-quality cheeses from the best suppliers. And I think one customer said to us one day, you know, they're asking, they're talking to us about our suppliers, and we were explaining how our meat's ethically sourced, it's free-range. And then they started explaining to us that... Um, you know, it doesn't matter, it's still not good for us. And it doesn't matter what label you use, it's still harm to the animals. And no one's ever said that to me my whole life before. And something clicked and um, I guess, yeah, that night we watched some documentaries and we learned the truth and we went vegan straight away. Awesome. Um, and then I, I guess that brings me to the food side. So then we started creating food, we, we started testing a lot of things and then we started making things that you know, it was still healthy, but they taste unhealthy and they're indulgent. We saw a lot of the vegan movement was going on the mock meats and a lot of processed foods and a lot of seton. Wasn't for us, you know, we still eat a little bit, but we wanted to have food that when people sit up, they actually feel light, they feel nice and they can connect with their bodies and go, wow, that food gave me amazing pleasure. And it, my body's thanking, you know, thanking me for eating that as well. So Whole foods. Yeah. And then I guess the last stage with the food is just we, we you know, started using Instagram and started realizing if we can make food look beautiful, then, you know, people will promote it for us. And, you know, people are starting to eat with their eyes a lot more these days. For sure. And, um, yeah, you know. The whole Instagram movement has really helped us grow, especially on being this area in Avondale Heights. 
And um, you and Kat are doing amazing things here along with the team and you find that people are travelling from other sides of Melbourne to come and visit you guys here, isn't that right? Yeah, so on weekends, you know, whenever I've got a free second, I'll always ask customers, you know, have they been here before? And then if they've said no, I say, oh, you know, where are you guys from? And yeah, you know, I always like to hear where, where people travel from. Um, a lot of people travel an hour, an hour and a half now. Yeah. Mornington, um, people come from Torquay, like it's just unbelievable, like the, the amount that people are, are just flocking here. So it's almost like a magnet now. And I, I do believe that the food and the coffee, you know, is definitely a vital thing. But the main thing drawing people here is because we understand so much what we're doing and we believe in it so much. And that's creating that energy for other people and they're starting to believe in what we believe. So it's creating this amazing movement and that's what's made this business so much more special. I think just being so um, focused and so determined on making a change and making that our number one priority and making money you know, not at the main focus, and that's what's made this business so, so um, special. So. And people can definitely see the passion that you guys have put into this place. Tell us about the feeling you get when, when people are coming from the other side of the town to visit you. Like, it must give you a sense of accomplishment. It gives you, like, a euphoric feeling in your stomach. Well, definitely. You know, when, when people say that, you know, they've wanted to come for ages, and they, they, every post they see that were mentioned in it, and, um, you know how amazing the food was and yeah it's just I guess it's this incredible feeling you know and I guess it's sort of like it sounds a bit weird but it's almost like you know we're giving them hope of a better future so they're coming in here and they're bringing a lot of like their non-vegan friends and family and getting them to experience vegan for the first time um, and also just seeing how busy we can get you know is making people happy because you know being vegan themselves they can just see how the movement's growing and you know we're a good example of it and how you can be a tiny little shop that once was a butcher shop for us ironic um, be such a busy little iconic hub in the middle of nowhere so you know it's very inspiring and i guess most people expect a cafe to be busy on chapel street or fitzroy but it proves if you're really special and you know you're really focused and you know, you've got a strong belief in something that people will travel. I love it. So just backtracking a little bit to when that customer came in and was explaining that there's no ethical way of um, sourcing meat. Yeah. Was that the life event that influenced your your and Kat's decision to go vegan? Um, it was definitely the one that, I guess, a good way to explain it is, it's called the 100 point system. So what happens for somebody to go vegan is they need a hundred points. So she definitely gave us the last, I would say 10 points. And the way the hundred point system works is, I guess over time you do collect uh, points from different people and different documentaries, maybe different articles you're reading, um, just explaining everything to you until it completely makes sense and then you decide to go vegan. So I guess, yeah, that was the last five points I believe that she gave us. Um, before that, um, my partner and I, we were, I guess, buying the best meats and, and buying you know all these products, but we weren't eating them. And we didn't even know why, but our bodies didn't want to eat that. You know, I could never eat, you know, I think the first thing we stopped eating was um, thigh chicken. Um, also, we cut out lots of pork fillets, um, a lot of meat just started tasting very strange to us. And I'd never actually made a connection about the animal side. I was completely um, disconnected from all that. Um, but it was just my body rejecting this food. And I didn't, maybe it was the energy in it. Maybe because we're becoming a bit more holistic that, yeah, it just didn't feel right to eat it. Um, and then once watching these documentaries, that just blew my mind. And that's what made us change. And then, you know, we were so vegan after watching that documentary that my partner couldn't even handle meat anymore so he turned the cafe vegetarian literally i think in one or two days and the same thing happened to myself steaming the the cow's milk um started making me feel very sick and i, I could feel that pain inside every drop and i knew that 
you know, that milk was stolen milk and I didn't feel right. I didn't want to make another dollar off it. So I called my um, dairy supplier and I said, sorry, sorry, buddy. You know, I'm dropping, I don't need an order. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, we're we're dropping the cow's milk. And he said, oh, you're crazy, mate. You'll go broke. And I said, well, if I'm meant to go broke, so be it. So we, um, yeah, you know, we asked another company that was about 90% vegan, and they're one of our main suppliers for coconut milk and other products. They supplied us a fridge, so we did a quick transfer of fridges. And yeah, then at the start, I guess I was only using a couple of milks and things like that. And yeah, I lost a lot of my original customers. So we lost about 97% of all our original customers. And that's why we do so many milks now because we kept adding on more so customers would, you know, wouldn't walk away. So that's how it was. Definitely. I was here through the transition and it was quite iconic. It was awesome to watch. And that was the, the um, life event that inspired me and my partner to actually turn not vegan initially but um be more connected to what's happening and then do our own education and then eventually um turn plant turn plant-based after that let's talk about your personal transitions to veganism what was the hardest foods to eliminate if there was any i guess we were so ready that we never i guess we went so vegan straight away that we actually didn't miss anything so i think the first weekend going vegan, I, we all caught up with a group of friends and um, we had some pizzas and I did have cheese on the pizza. Um, and then after that, I, I remember my wife just saying, you know, what, what was that? And I said, oh, I felt a bit, you know, a bit um, sort of, I don't know, shy or a bit embarrassed to ask for it vegan in front of my friend, you know. I thought he'd, I don't know, bully me or just be, you know, just be a bit stupid about it. And um, after that, you know, it really made a connection with me. I said, you know what, you're right. You know, I can't act like that. I've got to be strong about it. And um, yeah, then after that, I never craved any animal product ever again. That's awesome. That's one of the rare transitions and it doesn't happen like that always. Yeah. And I guess a lot of people can relate with you when they are with their friends and they are vegan. They're, they're a bit embarrassed almost to to make a big deal out of it. So yeah. um, do you have any tips for the listeners in ways to combat that? Um, I think definitely, I think you've definitely got to educate yourself. So, you know, you want to have the tools to hold a good conversation and almost a debate if you have to. But never use the tools. Only use it if you have to. Because if you just come out and you just start throwing these things around, people will start to fight you. So I guess it's good to know all the facts. So you know, I did a lot of research for a long time. Um, but the best thing to do is just come from a place of love and really connect with people's hearts and let them know, let your friends and family know what you're doing, why you're doing this. Um, a good friend of mine explained a really good scenario how to handle it for example your mum or your dad if you're vegan and they're giving you a hard time and a good thing to say to them is there are main reasons you know if you're the daughter or your son you know just explain to your parents that they're the main reasons that you went vegan and then they'll be like a bit in shock and they'll go what do you mean and you're like well you know through my whole life you've you've really cared for me and you've actually shown me love you've shown me gratitude you've shown me respect and now what I've done, I've come to terms that, you know, I shouldn't just be giving that to humans, but I need to give that to all sentient beings. Love um, it. You know, not just judge them by the way they look, you know, actually treat all animals with respect. Um, and, you know, that's actually a really powerful thing. And I've had a few customers say that to their parents and, you know, the parents are like, oh, wow, and, you know, that's come from a place of heart. And then they've understood that a lot more. So a lot of people will attack you and a lot of people will be uneasy because they don't understand and you actually threaten them because they feel bad for what they're doing and they don't want to feel like they're doing something bad. So they'll try to justify that with an argument. I love that. Um, And I guess people can definitely read when you're coming from a place of love and compassion instead of causing going on the front foot and causing an argument straight away. That's a a great point. It's almost, it's the same as karate. Like, you know, um, I'm sure, you know, I believe a lot of, martial arts they're all taught to defend themselves but to never use it 
only in emergencies, you know, it's the same thing. I think definitely be compassionate and loving as much as you can. And as the last resort, you know, give them facts, give them the information, you know, let them know what's happening. So then they're not, you know, you can open their hearts about it because, you know, everybody before goes, you know, before, I guess, going vegan, they always say the same thing. They always say, never go vegan. And they end up going vegan so you know you have to give everybody a chance yeah for sure yeah. um a good tip i used when i was going out for dinner and i was initially transitioning into veganism was yeah. i'd have a look at the menu before i went yeah um pick out some options so before anyone was reading the menu i'd yeah. already gone up to the waiter and i've ordered my food already so when when the food comes out i've already ordered before and no one even knows that's good if that's the avenue you want to avoid the confrontation if there is any but I definitely like your approach that coming I, from a I place of love for us we're a bit different now I guess because we're so active now yeah we've um, I guess evolved into um, I guess another stage and what we do now we follow a thing called the liberation pledge which is this bracelet I'm wearing and the bracelet had it, it's pretty much a fork wrapped around a wrist and what this resembles, um, what this means is, I guess, there's three rules to the pledge. So the, the first rule is to, I guess, not eat animals. And then the second rule is to not to sit next to anybody, like family members or friends, consuming animals. And the third is to talk about it if anybody mentions what is that wristband. So you can still eat in a non-vegan restaurant. It's just about sitting at a table and you know if it doesn't feel comfortable for you if you don't like to see your family man, family members and your friends consuming animals that you know you love and respect then you can just choose not to you know we've all got a choice and you know you can explain to your family that you still love them and you're still their son and you're still their friends and, and everything but you know you would prefer it if you know you could all eat vegan together because you know um you can't be yourself, you can't be loving back to them if you're, if you're I guess, being disturbed by, by what's happening. So that's what we do now. I and like it's that. been great, that, you know. At the start, it's always a hard conversation with everybody at, at first, but then after that, you know, now we eat vegan with all our family members and everybody respects us. Yeah. We never talk, you know, we don't bring up anything about animals, um, which they're happy about because they don't want us to keep bringing it up to them. Yeah. And they don't consume animals in front of us and then we all get along. Love that. So, yeah. It's really standing up for what you believe in. Yeah. I, I like that. So back to the cafe now, what was your main goal when turning ve- vegan? Was it to educate and empower other people um, or is it to raise awareness of it? What was it? For the cafe? Yes. So the main reason, I guess it wasn't for customers at all. It was for us, you know. We, we turned the cafe vegan because the cafe is the outer shell or it's the image of, of who we are, you know. This business is who we are. So I guess we dropped the meat because that's not what we consumed. We couldn't sell something that we're not doing. So we had to stay true to what we believe in. And to the fact where, you know, my... My wife and I were sitting down nearly every night for the first month and we had all our family members, our suppliers, everyone saying to us, what have you done? You've made such a bad move. Seeing all these old customers shake their heads walking past us. Just everyone around us making it like we did the wrong thing. But we stuck true to our heart. Um, even though our minds sometimes said to ourselves, you know, maybe we should bring back the dairy milk or maybe what we did wasn't the best move but we both decided if we were meant to go broke then so be it so that was our main thing and you know we didn't do it for the money we didn't do it for the customers we did it all because this is something that we believe in so much i love that and i guess for people that can't are struggling to make the comparison it's like getting up every day and going to a job that you know you hate, but you're still doing it anyway. Yep. You've got the choice to change it yep. and change your, um, the way you're living, and you guys did that, and I commend you for it. It's such a courageous move, and look at you guys and now. we didn't think we'd be busy from it. We honestly didn't think, you know, in the slightest, with every, and we thought to ourselves, well, we can still just make a living, we can just make ends meet, and that, that we would be happy from that. So it's pretty incredible how busy the cafe has been, 
you know, from the start where we just had no idea what would happen. It's because money wasn't your, your priority. Definitely, man. Well, you know, my, all my other businesses, money was definitely, and success was always my agenda. You know, I, I never ran a business where I cared so much about something. Um, and I guess, yeah, I guess vegans changed my life because not only am I educating customers and, you know, I guess helping, you know, people transition to vegan, but I'm also helping them become healthier and it's helping the environment and it's helping us. So, you know, it just seems like this, it's just, it just works a lot more. Awesome. Backtracking back into when you dropped the dairy from the cafe. Yeah. What was the um, reasoning behind this from a health standpoint? So what, yeah. why is dairy bad for us from a health standpoint? Yeah. And then from an ethical standpoint, just for the listeners that may not know. Okay, cool. So I guess dropping the, the cow's milk, um, I guess, you know, educating all my customers was a, a difficult thing, but I knew it had to be done. You know, at the start, I was a bit apologetic and I felt a bit wrong for not offering cow's milk. Um, so, you know, I learned over time how to explain it and talk to customers about it. And then over time, once I've ed- I educated myself, I was more comfortable about talking to customers about it. But it pretty much comes down to, you know, um, we are a different species, you know, we're not cows. Our body is completely different, you know, a whole makeup is completely different to a cow. Um, you know, and when we're not babies as well, so I guess drinking the milk of another species is almost like drinking like their breast milk, um, which means you know if we've been drinking our whole lives that we haven't stopped weaning off some something else. So we're not designed to drink milk, you know, where milk causes you know lots of different problems. You know, I'm not going to go into specific facts because you know I don't have all the journals and all that to back me up but um, you know it's if you do think about it it is designed to help a baby cow grow you know it helps a baby cow grow to a 600 um, kilo mammal in six months and you know when we drink it you can imagine what it's doing to our body also cows you know babies and their mums have a connection it's like a chemical and that connection bonds the mum and the baby together. Humans have that as well. When you're mixing 100 different cow's milks together with all these different chemicals, um, that's not good for us, you know. It's caused lots of different problems. Um, so that's why, you know, I suggest nut milks. And, you know, at the time when we, we first started, we only, I think, we're only making almond, soy, and coconut. You can probably remember. Yeah. And um, it just wasn't enough. We had too many customers saying no and laughing at us. Um, you know, and I guess it was getting to me. So then I knew that the only way I could survive it in this business was to offer. I think we do five or six different nut milks now, and we had to get creative. We had to nail the nut milks, make them every day, and educate. Education is our number one here. So. I had a little bit of experience working in a cafe called Saint Elite back in the day, which was very renowned for being one of the first specialty cafes in Melbourne. And their same approach was education. So they were pioneers of roasting a lot lighter than your traditional style. And we had a lot of customers drinking their coffees and always explaining, you know, the feedback was... um, a lot of it was negative at the start, and a lot of people were saying how bitter the coffee was and sour, and then would be explaining what well, bitterness can be good and bad. You know, is that like a nice bitterness from like a grapefruit? Is it like a sour cherry? What it, what type of notes are you getting? And then you know, once you started educating people, that's when they started loving it and it, being really excited by it. And then the next minute, it flipped, you know, upside down, and specialty coffee was cool, and you know, Italian coffee was old roasted and not you know not as cool as new age specialty coffee and that and then it just blew up in melbourne so i took the same ideas and skills and i guess i used it in this business where you know if somebody's just walking into a vegan business and i don't explain anything to them then they'll walk away thinking it's not as good as another cafe they'll probably think oh that was a bit weird or that was a bit of a freak show experiment 
trying these different milks and trying bacon that's fake and trying mayonnaise that has no eggs in it. You know, that was all a bit weird. But if you actually explain to them and explain to them about the house side to it and, you know, just give them a couple little pointers and we also hand out documentaries, that's when they walk away thinking, wow, that cafe's, they know their stuff, you know. That, I'm take, taking this place a bit more serious. They watch a documentary and understand more about it. That's when they're going to trust us and start believing in us and that's when they return and, you know, that's why we've got such an amazing um, loyal customer base now as well because you know, I believe that the education side is building that trust and that connection as well. I so, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, you touched on the milk alternatives that you use. What nut milks do you use here? So we've got almond. Um, so the fresh ones that we make is almond, Brazil, cashew, macadamia, Brazil, hemp seed. And then the long life is... Rebel, which tastes like cow's milk. It has cashews, spring water, rice milk, nutritional yeast, and Himalayan salt, coconut milk, and soy milk. And that Rebel milk is the closest one to dairy, I believe. Yeah, so when we have customers walking in for the first time and they're asking for a regular latte or a full cream latte, I guess the response that I say and all the staff now say um, is the same. And we always say, yeah, we've got full cream, it just doesn't come from the cow. And then their typical response is, yeah, okay, where's it come from then? And then we'll explain that, yeah, it's delicious. It comes from cashews, spring water, rice milk, tastes very similar, um, but yeah, it's a lot healthier for us. Awesome. And that starts, you know, a really nice conversation with a lot of people. So while they're waiting for a coffee, I get to um, educate a lot of people every day as well. I love it. Yeah. And you guys are definitely mastering the nut milks. You just hosted a a nut milk masterclass, I believe, where yeah. you had over 30 people coming in explaining and educating um, how to make the nut milks, yep. the nutritional profile, etc. And yep. I believe that went really well. Yeah, it did. So you're talking about making coffee with alternative milks. What's yep. a process you use to make the perfect cup? Okay, so I guess for me, um, I've been making coffee for quite a long time now. And I guess I know how easy it is to make a bad coffee. Um, the old school way, the old school approach of just filling up the basket, tamping it quickly, putting it in and pressing a button. Um, this is too, mi- too much room for error. So I guess the way I make coffee is a lot more systematic and that's why I'm a big believer in using, I call them robots, to help me make coffee. So I've got a tamper that you can set exactly how many pounds of pressure and that will tamp the coffee exactly the same level in one second. Um, so every time we make a coffee, we weigh the exactly the same amount of coffee beans, then we'll tamp it exactly the same pressure, and then I'll put exactly the same amount of water through it, and then I'll use time to make sure it's coming out the right time, that's tasting well. And then I've also got a self-steaming machine that will steam it at exactly the same temperature um, and that will steam it a lot smoother than I can. So for me, if I can systematically get the same, you know, um, coffee every, every time, then I don't need to worry. I can be confident that the coffee is going to taste well. Then all I need to do is focus making the nut milks and making sure that they're nice and fresh and they're nice and creamy. Um, and then just put it all together. Awesome. It's definitely an art to making coffee and definitely, that's yeah. why you're one of the best in art in Melbourne. <laughs> I can vouch for that. In simple terms, so for people wanting to go and try their, to make their nut milks at home, yeah. do you have a, a secret weapon or a recipe that you would like to share with? Well, I guess for me, I think, you know, I definitely like to taste the nut. You know, I think you have to have a purpose on what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, a lot of nut milks taste very watery, so you definitely don't want water to be the main component. So as a universal recipe, I always like to use around 300 grams of nuts yep. to 1.7 litres of water, preferably filtered water or spring water. Um, and then it's an easy process of just soaking the nuts overnight for at least seven hours. Um, and I use just tap water for that process in a bucket with a pinch of Himalayan salt. So then the next day I'll rinse them out then I will add those nuts to a food processor 
or blend them up using a sweetener. So we use agave, 20 grams of that. Um, or you could use 20 grams of maple syrup or two medule dates. Then I'll add half the amount of water in. Um, half of the 1.7 liters. Yeah. Yep. And then I will blitz up, so for example, almonds for around two to three minutes. And then I'll add the remaining water in and then I'll blitz that up for say 10 seconds at a lower speed just so um, no water will come through the top. And then I'll just put that through a nut bag, squeeze it out so there's, you know, um, all the liquid is in your bowl. And then I'll pull that through with just a fine strainer just to collect any loose little bits of nut pulp. And then I'll put it into a container. And there that's you go. It. Easy so, as that. You know, you definitely want to keep the ingredients very low, so very minimal. We only need three ingredients. Um, no stabilizers, so you will need to shake it. Yep. Um, but that's just a nice, clean, healthy way to do it. And then if it's too sweet, you can just reduce the amount of sweetness that you want. Um, if it's too creamy, just reduce the amount of nuts. But you just always add the same amount of water. I love it. And how many liters does that make of almond milk? So that milk makes exactly 1.7. 1.7 liters. Yeah. And how long would that last in the fridge? So in the fridge, it will last for six days. If you, but if you're heating it up through a coffee machine, three to four days. Okay. So the flavor does enhance, and yeah, you know. But if you're using it for smoothies and all that, it will taste taste fine for six six even seven days cool and i'll have that recipe in the show notes for you guys zach what are some food essentials vegan food of course for the listeners that they should have in their pantry or fridge to help with their transition yeah um to I enhance think, the flavor yeah so i think definitely nutritional yeast yeah um you know that gives you definitely your cheesy component a lot of nutritional yeast is fortified with b12 vitamin as well so if I guess a lot of vegans worry about B12, and that's a great way to have it. Um, we add it to heaps of nuts to make like parmesan. We add it to potatoes to make cheesy sauce. Um, we add it to all our pastas. Like it's just a great essential yeah. ingredient. Um, another ingredient would be, um, I guess, yeah, your nut milks. You want to make sure that you're always including that. Um, liquid smoke. Liquid smoke is an amazing ingredient just to give that amazing barbecue flavor to um, say tempeh, if you want to cook that, to um, you know, just your vegetables, if you want to barbecue them with some liquid smoke on top, you can, um, you know, I guess if you're ever wanting to have a little sweet, just having some vegan ice cream in the fridge. Like we've got so many different alternatives now. Um, you know, you definitely don't need to miss out. So I guess, you know, it's all good and well to, and I guess, you know, for any vegan, it's a progression to get to, you know, that raw vegan side. But I guess at the start when you're transitioning, you know, if you are, temp, you know, if you've got that temptation to have a little bit of sugar or, you know, you're wanting to indulge a little bit, then having like a vegan veggie bar, for example, or having a little bit of ice cream, that's a great way just to, you know, keep yourself satisfied, you know. And then definitely I recommend transitioning to a lot healthier state. And there's a lot of supermarkets and, and health food stores that are going on, on board with this. So there's definitely yeah. a lot of options for everything. Yeah. Um, basically anything that you want, you can have it in a vegan way that is cruelty free. Definitely. Zach, what's the most ordered dish here at Particle, would you say? Oh, I'd probably have to say still the black. The black? Yeah, it's been around since the start. Um, the OG black. Yeah, we have perfected a thing called rice paper bacon, which is just two sheets of rice paper with our liquid smoke that's been pretty much triple, triple cooked. Yeah, so we've cooked it three times. Wow. Um, it's, yeah, just really, really popular. Um, it gives everybody that old memories of you know having that BLT um, it's got avocado in it it's got like a spicy mayo in it it has a smoky sauce has avocado tomato um, it's just amazing as so, wholesome as it gets yeah it's just including free bread you know it's just a delicious sandwich everyone's gonna love it for non-vegans vegans you know it's just a great um, all-rounder really 
I love it. Yeah. And do you have any advice for other cafes that are almost transitioning into a fully vegan? They might still have the dairy on, like, what to do. You've obviously yeah. been through. So it. if I guess I learned from when I first started. So what I would change is definitely have a clear focus on when you when you are going to transition 100 percent. Um, create a sign and explain a few of the reasons why you're doing it or if not just just explain that you are changing so give that warning to customers and then use that time whether it's you know two three weeks four weeks to educate especially those great customers that you know that might feel a little bit uncomfortable trying different milks educate them really gently that you are going to transition you are dropping the cow's milk um, and maybe now is a good time to try some amazing milks that we have and just give them a recommendation, educate them, make them feel really comfortable. Um, there's a thing called remorse or also called buyer's remorse. So that's what everybody feels before buying you know, something expensive like a car or a house. Yeah. So what you want to do is just lower that, make them feel like they're in a comfortable space, that you've got it sorted, you know, you know what you're doing. Um, you know, whatever they're going to have is going to be amazing. And if it's not great, you know, it's not the end of the world. You know, there's always other things that they can try. Um, I think that's really important. And then, yeah, educate as many people as you can until you get to that day, and then just go for it. Go all in. You know, don't expect it to be a hundred percent perfect. You know, you, you still will lose customers. You know, now and then. But um, just really understand what you're doing, and just believe in it. And you know, I promise you, your business will get busier like we have you know people will start traveling when you're a normal say coffee shop or even if you're you know nearly a vegan business that has a few more products um i guess you still fall under that same category as a normal coffee shop because you haven't committed yourself to 100 percent. so what you're really doing is you're appealing to you know your local neighborhood or maybe the neighborhood next to that because in every area in Melbourne now, or nearly in every city, there's great coffee shops in every neighborhood. So people don't need to travel as far anymore, you know, especially if they're getting the same things that they used to. So if you go 100% and you actually really believe in what you're doing, that's when people start traveling and that's when you're gonna get extremely busy because, you know, you're, I guess, being real and you're following your heart. So. You know, I tell anybody, if, if, if you've got one little percent or your heart's telling you that what you're doing is not right, then follow that because life's way too short. We're not here long enough to sit back and wait, wait for things. We have to just make choices. And, you know, people are ready. People are ready for us to be 100% vegan. You know, they're ready to support us. Um, and, yeah, they're... They market us, they advertise us, you know, the, the vegan community has looked after us so much and, and I guess the non-vegan community has looked after us heaps as well, you know, 80% of our customers are non-vegans here, so, you know, we're creating a massive movement by non-vegans as well, so. And I guess if we can get people eating more plants and then we're doing something right. 100%, man. Cool. So, you know, one person can make a big difference, um, and I'll share with you a quick little thing before I finish up. It's called the starfish story. So if anybody ever thinks to themselves, you know, what can one person do? Um, a friend of mine also shared the story with me and it pretty much goes like this. A guy's just walking along the beach one night and in the distance he sees this small figure running back and forth to the beach and then back to the sand. And he's a bit intrigued, so he keeps walking um, and he gets closer and closer. And as he's getting closer, he, he looks to the right of him and he notice washed up on, on the sand you know, millions and millions of starfish so as he's walking up to the young girl he sees that she's picking up this starfish she's going 100 miles an hour and she's throwing them straight back into the water and she's going back and she's throwing them straight into the water and her family's not around, she's doing this alone she's doing this at night, she's a young girl and he's like, what, what, what's happening? so he, he walks up to her and he said, what are you doing? and she explained, I'm, I'm saving the starfish and he said, but there must be millions of them, you know, you can't save them all. She said, but, you know, I can save this one. And, you know, saving this one's going to make a difference. And that one over there I'm going to save. I'm going to keep saving as much as I can. So that's a great attitude to have because, 
you know, if, if everybody thinks that they can't make a difference and nothing will happen, but all it takes is one person to stand up to something, to go against the grain, and then we can, you know, create a spark. I love so, that. Yeah, that's a great little, you know, motivational story that someone told me. Um, and that's how you just got to think, you know, we can all make a difference and yeah, you know, it's very powerful what we do. That's awesome, Zach. Thanks for sharing no, that. That's right, man. Too easy. Do you have any tips for anyone wanting to go vegan, like any documentaries or books that they can get? Yeah. And what would they be? Definitely. So, um, probably uh, the best place I would say to start, I would definitely probably start with the lighter side to it. So, I would probably start with watching something like Cowspiracy and learn about the environmental impacts of, I guess, animal agriculture. Um, and then I would probably follow it up with say what the health and then you can learn about the health side of it um if you feel like you know you need to watch more then there's an amazing documentary called dominion that just got um, released to watch you can download that off their website dominionmovement.com and that shows you i guess tells you the truth about animal agriculture and that's on our in our backyard in australia Um, books you can read a book called How Not to Die. Also, The China Study is a fantastic book, which is the longest recorded health study ever taken place. And that will explain, you know, how meat, you know, in our diets is, is, is unhealthy and we're not designed to, I guess, you know, consume it. And it, it's causing a lot of problems to us. Awesome. And those will be in the show notes for you guys as well. What's your favorite vegan dish? What are the ingredients and how do you prepare it, Zach? So, on the menu or at home? Your favorite, if you could choose one vegan dish ever. Probably, well, I guess one of my favorites, and it's actually quite an easy dish. um, Just a dish that takes me back um, would be just like my creamy pasta. sort of like, you could almost call it like a carbonara mushroom, truffle carbonara. So what I would do is I cut up some onion. So I won't go into specifics, but yeah, I cut up some onion, um, I'll cut up some garlic and some mushrooms, and then I will saute them all. And in another pan, I will just lightly fry off some capers. So they're nice and salty and crispy. And then I'll put them on a paper towel just to cool down. Then I will, yeah, so fry off those mushrooms until, you know, they're all beautiful and they taste amazing. And I'll add some fresh herbs like thyme, maybe a bit of oregano and some parsley in there. And then I will add a glass of cashew milk. Or if you haven't got that at home, you can add soy milk or rebel. And then that will create this beautiful mushroom-flavored sauce. And I will drop a little bit of truffle oil in it. So then I'll cook that a little bit, reduce it, and then I'll add just a uh, tablespoon of corn flour. And that will help thicken it. And then I will cook some gluten-free pasta and cook that al dente and then add that together. And then I'll maybe fry some broccolini, put some fresh spinach in there, and some olives, mix that all together, and then yeah, put the capers on the top, and then wow. that's it, yeah, it's I'm a salivating. beautiful, indulgent, you can have some gluten-free garlic bread on the side, you know, you can finish it off with a little bit of nutritional yeast. I love so that. It's just, yeah, really yum. <laughs> the wrong time to talk about this when <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> so really indulgent, but really easy and quick as well, so and you can just change it up, but I guess I, I spent a year and a half in Rome, ate lots of pasta, so you know, it just takes me back to that, and yeah, it's just a great little comforting dish that I like to eat sometimes. Awesome, yeah. I love it. And again, do your education and research on dishes that you love, there's always a vegan alternative. Alrighty, lucky last question, where can we find you guys, Instagram and Facebook? So, on our Instagram, it is Particle Cafe, so at Particle Cafe, and our... Uh, Facebook is Particle Cinnamon and also Particle C-I-N. So we've got two pages on Facebook. The Cinnamon is more of our food and cafe pages. And 
the CIN is more of our activism and we will share recent you know, stories and news about what's happening in the vegan world. Also, I do put up a lot of my, um, I have my own videos I bring out where I will talk to customers about veganism who are, you know, I guess I've never heard about it. And I'll just educate others on, you know, the way I handle it. I try to do it um, from a positive space. And yeah, and their reactions. And I guess the purpose of it is, you know, at the start shows that a lot of customers are very uneasy, but at the end, you know, we're all friends and we can all get along. So that's my objective when I shoot my videos and when I have my conversations. Um, and just to give them, you know, plant the seed a little bit, you know, and just, just, you know, give them a few points like we mentioned before, so. I love it. That's it, man. Awesome. Well, Zach, thank you so much for your time. I'm loving what you and Kat are doing. Awesome, um, Keep it up, guys. Yeah, totally awesome. Thanks, guys. See ya. And that's this week's dose of Euphoria. Connect with myself and the Euphoria Health community on Instagram or Facebook at Euphoria Health. Through these channels, you'll find cool workouts, plant-based recipes, and daily challenges. Until next time, guys, I'm your host, Matt Zapala, and remember, don't settle for anything less than euphoria.